Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. A few years ago, I had LASIK surgery to correct my poor eyesight. I really needed LASIK surgery to correct my poor eyesight, and it's a strange kind of surgery for those of you who've had it or you've even thought about having it. In order to correct your vision, a laser beam is shot into your eye to reshape your cornea. And you can just imagine this the sound of that. It can be rather painful sometimes, and it requires the eye to have a little bit of healing. So you go into the procedure room, and with poor vision, you have the laser beam shot into your eye, and then you have to leave the room for a certain period of time with your eyes closed so that your eye can heal. And so, probably because I like attention, I uh, decided that what I was going to do is I was just going to keep my eyes closed for the rest of the uh, afternoon and for the on into the night. I was milking it as much as I can, guys. You know what I mean? I wanted the attention. So I had the surgery. I left my eyes closed. And I won't ever forget when I woke up the next morning. I was amazed at what I saw. For the first time in a long time, I was able to see the alarm clock without having to put on my glasses. And after an afternoon and a night of complete darkness, I was happy to finally open my eyes and have perfect vision. Now that vision is so important because God wants us to have vision. He wants us to see. He doesn't want us to go through life barely seeing or just seeing maybe a little bit or completely blind and darkened. He wants us to have vision. And so we have the privilege this morning of going to the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. And at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is something that probably you've seen before. Chapter 6, verses 9 through 15, it's probably something that not only you've seen before, it's probably something that you've heard before. Now this passage is known as the Lord's Prayer, but I want to tell you this morning, it's not so much the Lord's Prayer as it is a guide to our praying as it is the model prayer where God puts a framework for us to pray. Have you ever heard it? Are you familiar with it? I want to encourage you this morning to read this passage with me together. Read this passage with fresh eyes this morning. Listen to the Bible. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We confess because you've taught us already just in the reading of your word to say that your name is hallowed and you're you're holy and majestic. So, Father, as we begin this wonderful endeavor of looking at this text that has been so meaningful to so many We pray that you'd give us fresh eyes this morning and help us to see what it is that you want us to see. 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now here's the danger as we get started. The danger is, is that we can take a text like this that's so beautiful that you probably memorized, you were probably fighting back when I was reading it, saying it along with me, all of those kind of things. It's what it can become, if we're not careful, a text like this can become too familiar. And when something becomes too familiar to us, then the astounding truths that ring through it can seem dull instead of brilliant. The luster of this text can become lackluster, and the beauty can then be clouded by our own comfort, of a cloud of our own comfort. Look at this text again. Look at it. Hopefully you have your Bible with you. Hopefully you have the Bible open before you and you can see it. Look at it before you. Imagine this morning if you were exposed to this text for the first time. Imagine reading it for the first time. Now there's a reason, and I I hope that we can see this together. There's a reason why at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord teaches us to pray. What does praying have to do with the ministry of Jesus? The word prayer has to do everything with the ministry of Jesus and His followers. And if you look at this prayer, you see the prayer at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is, look at it closely, it's really Jesus' ministry in summary form. Look at it. In this prayer, you find everything that Jesus has come to accomplish. Look at it. Of course, we understand that He's taught us that we have a Father in Heaven. We know He is Father because He has adopted us and made us His very own. He has called us strangers. He's called us family. Then, of course, we understand that this Christ has come to bring this kingdom, and this kingdom is a kingdom that is coming. And we can be sure that this kingdom is coming because Jesus has come and already began to show us what this new kingdom is. Of course, there's a will. There's daily bread as Christ is our portion. And there's forgiveness. There's the ability to now fight temptation and be delivered from evil. This prayer is really a summary of the ministry of Jesus. But I want you to see something else. Notice a theme. Really, the whole prayer is framed around this theme. Our Father. Look at it first. We see our Father, His majestic transcendence. You can't read the first word of the prayer and not feel the weight of His glory. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Then not only do we see His majestic transcendence, we also see that this King who is lofty and high and excellent, He cares about us and our needs. He's not far beyond that we can't bring our needs before Him. Notice that everything in this prayer is framed around us calling God our Father and then we going to Him, depending upon Him as His children for everything that He gives us. Now, we've talked about this before and we've we've really looked at this and hopefully that this is sinking in and the simplest definition of prayer that I offer to you is that prayer is just simply a conversation with God. And so this prayer before us, if prayer is a conversation with God, then the Lord telling us to pray then like this is not Him telling us to be vain in our repetitions. It's sort of interesting, isn't it? Where the Lord says earlier, He says, don't be like the Gentiles, don't think that we're going to be heard by our many words and so heap up empty phrases. 
the prayer is not meant to be some empty phrase where we just say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy king. It's not that. It's a conversation, God. It's a means by which we can carry the conversation along with God. And so this prayer serves as a conversation, God. And so if we were then to think about prayer as a conversation and this as a God, the prayer might go something like this. God would say, by the way, He always speaks first, but that's another sermon for another day. Who do you take me for and who am I to you? And then we would reply to God, our Father in heaven. And then God would say, well, if that's so, what's it that you really want the most? And then we go back to our God and we see that we want the hallowing of His name, the coming of His kingdom. We want to see His will known and done. And then so He comes to us and He says, so then, what are you asking for right now to help accomplish those ends? And we would say, provision, our daily bread, pardon, forgiveness, and protection. Lead us not into temptation. But we think about prayer and we really need a guide. Because prayer is one of those kind of things that there's so much confusion on. We need this prayer here to direct our steps. Because when we pray, listen, prayer is is an excellent enterprise. It's a glorious endeavor. I hope that you do it often because what is prayer? Prayer is an opportunity for us to seek the face of God. The psalmist says, seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His presence or seek his face continually why is that well the psalmist tells us again he says because he is the one who makes known to us the path of life in his presence there's fullness of joy and at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore so of course we want to seek his face continually because he's the one who can make known to us the path of life he's the one whose presence is fullness of joy, and just at His right hand, there are pleasures to last forever. Don't you want to learn to pray this way? Don't you want to be lost in some kind of anticipation, some kind of great anticipation of praying this way? Maybe your prayer has become dull. Maybe you feel like when you pray, it's monotonous or mundane. This is anything but that. For you to be awestruck by a God who is in heaven, who attends to your cries, who is not so far removed that He's not concerned about your needs. Don't you want to learn to pray this way? We have to be taught to pray this way because really we don't know how to pray this way. This is why Jesus has to say in so much in chapter 6 where we may have thought that prayer was safe, but it's not. We have to be taught to pray because our own lust, our own ambitions... James says you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, it's not a matter of just asking. You're asking with the wrong motives. How can we be safe? How can prayer be safe from our own selves? Well, Jesus comes to teach us. Our sight has been darkened by our own lust and our perverted desires. We don't know how to pray like we should. And so Jesus knows this. And He doesn't just say, you know, you go figure it out on your own. Aren't you glad? Jesus doesn't just say, you know, hey, you really should be praying, you bunch of hypocrites. He doesn't say that. He says, pray like this. You see, Jesus knows our need. He knows that we need a new vision. And He has not just come to give us a new vision. He has come to give us a greater vision. Now, if we're honest this morning, we can all think about prayer. And we've been talking about prayer a lot. We're going to continue to talk about prayer for the next little bit because prayer is so important. 
there's something that is so mysterious about prayer, if we're honest. Imagine reading this for the first time and practicing your prayer based upon what the Lord has said. Imagine that you don't, you've never read the Bible before, you have this idea about praying, maybe you've seen someone pray in the past, whatever, and then Jesus tells us to pray where we seek the face of God. Prayer is mysterious. Matter of fact, I can just imagine that your practice of prayer and my practice of prayer, they may be the same, they may be different as far as the particulars of how you pray, where you pray, and all those kind of things. Prayer is mysterious. But listen to me carefully. Listen closely. There is nothing more telling about you than your prayer life. There is nothing more telling about me than my prayer life. You want to know how deep you are spiritually? Listen closely. You want to know how deep you are spiritually? Listen to your own prayers. Now, I'm not saying listen to anybody else's prayer, all right? I'm not asking that. Because I know I'm not suggesting that you listen to somebody pray out in public and like, oh, they don't know Jesus at all. Listen, I'm not suggesting those things because I know sometimes some of us, we really struggle when it comes time to praying out loud. I'm not talking about all those kind of things. I'm talking about when you pray because you know how you pray. Listen to your heart. Where is your heart when you pray? Is your heart motivated by this vision that Jesus is offering? And after reading this prayer that Jesus offers, I really wonder how much praying is going on these days at all. Everyone prays, right? But where are they praying from? Are they praying from blinded eyes or eyes that see? When people pray, are they praying the way that Jesus teaches here? Or are they praying some other way? And by the way, I really don't think that there's any other way to pray. Sometimes what people call prayer. And this week, for example, what's the language that we've been using is we've been watching these horrible events unfold for our neighbors, brothers and sisters and friends in Houston. What's been the sort of the logo that's been going around? Our thoughts and prayers have been with Houston. But listen to me carefully. When we who know Jesus say that our thoughts and prayers are with Houston, it means something different than those who don't know Jesus. Because Prayer is more than well wishes. Prayer is an opportunity for us to smell the scent of heaven. To see the light of glory breaking through darkness. Everyone prays. Everyone has an idea of prayer. You know why? Because everyone is made in the image of God. And everyone has the capacity of relating with Him. What am I saying? I'm saying everyone prays because everyone is a worshiper. They talk about getting prayer out of schools, for example. Well, listen, as long as there's algebra tests in school, there's going to be prayer in school, right? Everyone's a prayer. Everyone knows how to pray. I heard a story of the famed atheist professor, Richard Dawkins. Dawkins was on a live uh, British broadcasting company with a minister from St. Paul's Cathedral in London. He was on a live broadcast, radio broadcast on BBC. He was belittling Christians, saying that most Christians don't even believe what they claim about Christianity. And he was using a proof. He said the proof of it is if you were to go to a Christian on the streets who says that they're a Christian, and you were to ask them to name the four Gospels, they wouldn't even know what you're talking about. 
And so then the minister on the other side from St. Paul's Cathedral in London, he didn't miss a beat. He just was listening on, and he asked Dawkins. He said, so let me ask you a question. Have you ever read The Origin of Species by Charles Darwin? And, of course, Dawkins replied, oh, yes, of course I've read it. And then the minister said, well, it's a pretty significant work for you, wouldn't you say? And Dawkins said, of course it is. And then the minister looked at Dawkins and said, well, then would you mind telling me and us the whole title of the book? And this was a live broadcast. Dawkins, he stuttered and he stammered and he said, uh, 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 I, I know it has a longer title. Uh, it's uh, The Origin of Species. And then he muttered, this is an atheist, militant atheist. He muttered something under his breath and I'm quoting him. He said, I know it has a longer title. Uh, oh my God. Even an atheist who is very outspoken against Christianity calls on God to help him remember the name of the book that helped him deny God. Listen. Everyone prays because everyone is a worshiper. Prayer is this opportunity for us to express our worship. This is why we've been going sort of slow here with this prayer. This is why prayer is important and Jesus teaches us to pray and through giving us this prayer at the heart on the Sermon on the Mount. You see what Jesus is doing? He is firing another laser beam into our eyes and opening our vision to a whole new world that He is bringing. Don't miss what Jesus is teaching us here by placing this prayer at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, prayer is that opportunity that God has given us by the gracious ministry of the Son and the Holy Spirit, where we get to from this place that is so far removed from the world that's coming, we get to align our hearts and hopes with infinite glory. So let's look at the prayer before you. I believe that this prayer God is setting before us, He's testing our vision. So with that being said, He wants us to learn something. He wants us to see some things. And so, What does our Lord want our vision to be? And I hope you're writing notes this morning because there are four truths as to what our Lord wants our vision to be. Four truths. First off, God wants our vision to be greater than ourselves. This is why He teaches us to pray in the very beginning the way that He teaches us to pray. He wants our vision to be greater than ourselves. Now, what if the greatest hindrance to you having a fruitful and fulfilling prayer life was yourself. Imagine a person who spends their entire lives looking at a painting of the sea. This is a beautiful painting. It's really captivating. If you were to walk by this painting, you could almost hear the seagulls in the background. Hear the ocean wrapping against the shoreline. Imagine this person. Suppose the owner of the painting has the opportunity to go to the ocean and see the waves. They say, no, 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 I'm, I'm satisfied. I've seen the ocean. I have my painting. Suppose that they would rather stay locked in their room with their painting, would rather stay lost in their own thoughts of the sea instead of experiencing the sea. Now that may not be a big deal except for a person who knows the ocean. 
That may not be a big deal except for the person who knows the joy of looking at an ocean sunset and seeing in just a few moments how it's light everywhere and you can see that beautiful ball of orange and then all of a sudden in the next three minutes, it's gone. That's how fast. For those of you who have seen it, you know. That's how fast the sunset goes. Or you see that ocean sunset. You know what it feels like to have the breeze across your sun-soaked skin at the end of the day. You can smell the salty air. You're going to think about that person who wants to sit in their room locked and looking at a painting. You're going to say, "How this is pitiful. You have an opportunity to go and see the ocean, but you'd rather... I know the painting's pretty, but it can't compare to what the ocean has. Let me say this. A person choosing to remain impoverished is to be pitied. And a person who chooses to pray with themselves at the center of their prayer is also to be pitied. Look at the way the prayer starts. If we aren't careful, we can miss this. But don't miss it this morning. Look at the way the prayer starts. How's it start? It doesn't start, my Father, does it? It's interesting, amazing. Jesus doesn't teach us to pray, my Father who art in heaven. He didn't say that. What's He say? Our Father. Plural. Not just my, our. Now the age in which we live in makes a big deal about personal rights, individualism. Prayer, the way the Lord teaches us to pray here, doesn't begin with my or me. Now, some individualism is good, right? We, we like having our own rights and being able to cut our grass the way we like it cut and have a haircut the way we want to have We like having individual rights. Some of you like salt on your food, but you know if you put too much salt on your food, what happens? You ruin the food. Too much individualism breeds pride. Well, then you become the end of yourself and you believe that the world revolves around you. You know what we call those kind of people? Self-centered. We don't want to be self-centered. We don't want to think that the world revolves around us. And so this prayer comes at us in our age filled full of individualism. Well, it's all about me, myself, and I. And Jesus just flat out, right out of the gate, challenges those notions. When we pray to God, we're not simply praying to the one that I call Father. And it is me that calls Him Father. But we're praying to the one that we call Father. When we pray to our Father, we are praying to the God who is beyond ourselves, who is beyond our imaginations. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, individualism can leave us incapable of seeing God from ourselves. And if we do that, We start justifying ourselves before God because we think that God is dependent upon us. This is why, you know, in Sunday school when someone says, well, that's not the way I read that. And there may be uh, multiple ways to read a passage, but you know what? There's probably just one way to read a passage. There is right, there is wrong, and that's not open to opinion or subjugation. See, when we, if we're not careful, we miss this. We miss this because we think that we begin to justify ourselves and we think that God is dependent upon us. And I want to say to you this morning, plainly and openly from this pulpit, that this is happening all around our world. This is why so many Christians are so confused about what the Bible says about things that are so simple. Just take one, for example, things like homosexuality and gender. The Bible's pretty 
clear about what it says, but individualism and self-worship has crept in unaware, and all of a sudden we begin creating a God in our own image and worshiping the God in our image instead of worshiping the God whose image we are created in. When God saved you. Listen to me carefully. When God saved you and He sealed you, you lost your life as an individual. Now you belong to Jesus. God is not just your Father. He's not just your Jesus. He is our Father. He is our Jesus. Your life is no longer your own. You see, you've been bought with a price. And this is why Paul tells the Corinthians, you are now commanded to glorify God with your body because you are no longer your own. Do you see this? Running through the prayer is this glorious vision of our Father. Now, we're going to come back next week and we're going to deal with that phrase, our Father, because it's, it's so rich, it's so good. We're going to deal with that individually. <laughs> we're going to deal with that. I don't want you this morning to be so short-sighted that you miss our Father who is greater than yourself. Number two, God wants our vision not only to be greater than ourselves, He wants it to be greater than our situation. Now, let's be honest. When we think about prayer, I know the way that I often pray, and hopefully I'm not alone here, but it's okay if I am. But I'm guessing that the same is really true with you. We usually find ourselves in a mess, and that's when our prayer gets the hottest, right? We find ourselves needing something, wanting something. We have some need pressing in on us. We're in a bind. We want God to get us out of it. So then we really turn into the prayer warrior, right? Now, it can be a big pinch or a tiny pinch. It doesn't matter. We just know that God is able because we've usually exhausted everything that we can do. And then by that point, then He's left us incapable. He's proverbially thrown us down a well and we have nowhere else to look except up. And then we begin to start praying. Or maybe we want something. Maybe, man, you just got this craving. You've got to have this. It could be something great. It could be something like peace. It could be something like relief from flooding. Or it could be something small, like, you know, help me find this splinter in my finger. Something like that. But how often when we pray do we get trapped if we're not careful? Trapped in our own little world. And then this prayer comes at us and it blows our roof Look at what it says. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a great big world out there for us. You know what the better news is? It's not just a great big world. There is an even bigger God. And sure, He can clean up our messes. Sure, He can answer our wants. But listen to me carefully. What if Him cleaning up our messes and answering our wants? What if we got lost in those things and we saw our lives as God taking us and reshaping and ordering our world and ordering the world around us according to His wise purposes? I know it's hard. But God wants our vision to be a little wider than even our deepest concerns. And God cares for you. And part of His caring for you is giving you hope 
that no matter the circumstances that we face, no matter the circumstances, He has given us this hope to anchor our souls that no matter what, His purpose will be accomplished. This is why we delight in the fact of saying that our God is good. This is why we delight in the fact of saying our God is loving. This is why we preacher says you can trust the Lord. And that trusting the Lord is oftentimes tested by the way that we pray. What if the way that we pray doesn't come out like we wanted it to? Are we going to trust Him anyway? What if we don't know what to pray, but we still are convinced that we need to pray, and so we say, Lord, nevertheless, I don't know if this is prayer right or not, but not as I will, but as You will. What if our purpose was lost in His purpose? And you say, what is His purpose? It's glorious. Look at it right here. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. I really can't think of anything better to pray than that. This is what we get to spend our entire lives learning together. By the way, we do it together. Because you, 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 and me, we're all together. You know what we're doing? We are pursuing God together. And here's the truth of it all. Even those who aren't pursuing God, one day God is coming. He is bringing to this earth the knowledge of Himself. So everyone is on a destination. And the destination is God's glory. We'll either be wrapped up in that glory or we'll be consumed by it. There's nothing greater to pray than that. Thirdly, God wants our vision to be greater than anything that we can expect. Look at the prayer. And we could say that one another way. God wants our vision to be filled with hope. Greater than anything we can expect. Think about hope for just a minute. You know what the Bible says about hope? The Bible says this in Romans. Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Look at the substance of the prayer. Look how meaningful it is. There is a God in heaven whose name is Hallow, whose kingdom is coming, whose will be done, who hears and attends to our cry for bread. Because He's our Father. He is more concerned with our needs than even we are. And because He's God, He delights in our delighting in Him. And He is more ready to give than we are even ready to ask. And He gives us what we need and more than we need. You say, how can you say that? You don't know what I prayed for and not had. How can you with bold face stand in that lofty place and say that He can give us more than we need because of what He's already given to us, His Son? Back to Romans again. Listen to what Romans says. Don't miss this. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. Now look at this. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Let me ask you a question. Why on earth did Jesus give us a Son? You know why? Because man cannot live on bread alone. There is something that we needed more than bread. Yeah, bread's important. But there's something that we need more than bread. And you know what we need? We need the Word sent from God. 
We need the Word to dwell in us richly. And you know how that comes? That comes through one way. Forgiveness. And then we're able to ask God for forgiveness. Why is that? Because He has already forgiven us. Full atonement. He's given us full atonement. The pardon for sins. Can that be? Yes. Why is that? Because we know Christ has come for us. And here's the beautiful part. We have received a continual supply of the bread of heaven and we have the freedom to come to His fountain to collect all that God has prepared for us. I hope you're seeing. I'm trying to draw a connection between bread and what it is we really need. Bread and Jesus telling the devil and Moses telling the people in the wilderness, man can't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from God. This is why I believe the psalmist can say something like this. He says, I've been young and now I'm old and I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor have I seen them begging for bread. God giving us His righteousness is our greatest need and Him giving it to us is better than anything that we could ever hope for. That's one thing to have bread. I like bread. I think bread's a pretty important thing. But God forgiving us and making us His very own is greater than anything that we could ever expect. Imagine a poor pauper in the dead of winter knocking on the door of the largest house in town. This thing is a mansion. The man opens the door. Owner of the house. The beggar asks for bread. The man gives him a loaf of bread and he hands him the keys to the whole house. He says, yeah, I'm going to give you bread. But I'm going to give you the keys to the whole house. Have it all. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. You can go through life and you can eat all the bread you want and you can still be starving. Jesus supplies both. He supplies what you want. He supplies what you need. He takes our wants And He wraps them up to show us that what we really should want is what we need. And He gives us both. Just when the light is already becoming too unbearable for us as God is showing us this vision, just when the light is becoming too much, the prayer keeps going. And fourthly and finally, God wants our vision to be greater than anything that we could ever do for ourselves. Look at the end of the prayer. Look at the end. Great promises are there. Do you see them? But there's also a heavy demand. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Temptations and evil, they are the thickest cloud that prevent us from seeing the full glory of God in all of His light. Temptations and evil are constant reminders that we are not home. And these constant reminders, they remind us that we live by faith and not sight. And So we need God to do something supernatural for us. We need God to be our vision lest we desire the simple things like riches or man's empty praise and we forget that God is our inheritance now and always. Because He is our vision, we are now able to recognize things like temptation and evil. And matter of fact, we wouldn't even know the difference between temptations or evil unless God had showed us what is good. We wouldn't even know that there was darkness in the world if the true light hadn't come. We wouldn't even know the beauty of the sea if all we did was stare 
at a painting. Everything that He says for us is yielding us to let us have this greater vision. And because we have this greater vision, because of His demands on us are so heavy, and He then comes to us and we are enabled to do something that is even more demanding. Look at the way the prayer ends in verse 14 and 15. Don't miss this. Jesus has already told us, forgive us our debts as we also forgiven our debtors. And then He goes off on a tangent and He explains something a little further for us because He knows that this is going to be what's so demanding. But this is the conclusion of those who have vision. This is what we see. We see we're motivated by a glorious vision of all that He gives us. And so He tells us to do something so demanding. He tells us to forgive those that trespass against us. You know who those people are? It's your enemy. Don't miss this. The whole basis for our forgiving others is that we are forgiven. There would be every reason for us to be vindictive and unforgiving if we did not know the love of God and forgiveness. But here's the truth. We do. We do know it. And so now God is calling us to something greater than we could do ourselves. He's calling us to forgive others. To go out as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and have this ministry of reconciliation because we've determined a few things. God has forgiven us and so now we go out and forgive others because we know that what value is it to have a temporary infraction against your neighbor when their eternity lies in the balance. So after looking at this prayer and all the riches that are there, I wonder, how's your vision? Are you the end of yourself? wrapped up in your own cares and your own concerns, so much so that you're blinded, you're short-sighted, you can't see the greater world out there, you can't see the greater God out there, you're so short-sighted. Or are you seeing things with your eyes wide open? Are you seeing this great big world and seeing this great big God and seeing that this great big God has the whole world in His hands? So you're delighting in Him. Yeah, you groan sometimes with groanings that are too deep for words and even then, we understand from prayer that the Holy Spirit is there interceding for us. And the one who's calling us to pray, don't ever miss this, Jesus, He's Himself right now praying for us. And so, yeah, there'll be moments when we don't know how to pray, but we enjoy going before the Lord because He is our vision. He is our delight. We can't see anything else other than Him. Or maybe we could say something else. We can see everything now because we see Him. Our vision is Jesus, simply Jesus. And let me say this to you personally, and I hope that you understand this. I hope that we're together pursuing this. Don't settle for anything. I implore you in the name of Jesus, don't settle for anything less in your life than a vision of a great and wonderful God who is more ready to answer your prayers even than you are to ask Him. There is nothing like living life in light of this. With all the expectation of the world, of this Jesus calling us, giving us a greater vision. Let's pray together. Father, we love You and we thank You for loving us. You are so good and You are so great and how oftentimes we are so trapped and consumed with a lesser vision. Father, forgive us. Thank You, Lord, for setting before us this glorious vision, this wonderful vision, Thank You, God, for letting us see the beauty of Jesus. Thank You, Lord, for letting us grow in that beauty. And so I pray that, as Jonathan Edwards used to pray, I 
pray this for me. I pray this for all within the sound of my voice that you would stamp eternity on our eyeballs. You and your holy laser come and take our corneas and our vision and reshape them, Lord. And I know it's painful. I know it requires work. But Lord, thank You that You are patient enough to do it. So Lord, stamp eternity on our eyes. You've called us to a greater vision. And help us to have greater vision. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at oxfordbaptistchurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.